huge news, years in the making, my brand new book that my publishers refuse to publish, Money Matrix. Beat the money system and build generational wealth. Understand the three main ways that the banks productize you and make money from you. You'll be able to turn that system against itself, build generational wealth and multiple streams of recurring income. It's all at moneymatrix.cash. And if you're quick, the first few hundred registrants and buyers will receive many special bonuses from me. The brand new Moneymaker Summit three-day special event. Meet me at a champagne reception. Meet me at a multi-millionaire networking dinner. Go now, moneymatrix.cash. This is huge. Hi, it's Rob Moore, author of Money and the More Money Secrets channel. And this is Harry Kumar, head producer of the channel. We're going to talk all things money, the good, the bad and the ugly of money. Okay, Rob, so I've got the good, the bad, the ugly when it comes to money advice. I just want you to react to this and we're going to have a little conversation about it. Okay. First video, you ready? Yeah. And I think for a lot of us, a lot of you, if you're feeling overwhelmed, distracted, you feel like an imposter, you don't think you're good enough for what you're doing, The truth is you feel like that because you're focused on who you're competing with, not what you're doing. Keep your eye on what you're doing. Because remember this, everybody tomorrow starts at zero. Everybody. Doesn't matter who's coming into the competition with what ranking, It doesn't matter what competition they've won before this. All that matters is tomorrow morning, eight o'clock, when the bell tolls, everybody starts at zero. Just make sure you're the most prepared. What's your initial thoughts regarding that? Um, He's not getting up early enough. When the bell tolls at 8 a.m., I'm up at 5.30 a.m., I don't agree that everyone starts tomorrow at zero because you've got your whole life of experience. Okay, you might not be a millionaire or a billionaire yet. Your business might not be where you want it to be. You might not be making multiple streams of income, but you have your life experience. You have your trials, tribulations and traumas that you can lean on. So I don't agree that everyone starts at zero. I agree that we all have another chance tomorrow and another chance tomorrow, and another chance tomorrow. But the problem with that thinking is that you can put it off till tomorrow, put it off till tomorrow, put it off till tomorrow. I'm a bit torn on the competition part because I'm a bit torn on the competition part because let me ask you this. Do you think Ronaldo would have been as good if there were no Messi? That is the big question, probably not. Do you think Lamborghini would have been motivated to make supercars if it weren't for Ferrari trolling them? Absolutely not. Because that is a famous story. Ferrari, hey, you just make tractors. Well, they kind of still do my Aventador as a bit of a tractor. (laughs) But so you could argue that competition creates motivation. So I think competition is good. In a free, fair market, It's all about competition. Like if you don't have someone to beat or challenge yourself against, you don't innovate, you don't evolve, you don't make progress. Like if you've got no one to show how good you are, you won't show how good you are. So comparison is different though. Competition is good. Like if you watched Formula One 
And there was only Ferrari. And there wasn't Red Bull. And there wasn't Aston Martin. Would it be fun? It'd be fun if you were Ferrari. Well, it wouldn't, though, would it? It wouldn't be fun winning all the time without competition. Like, uh, we're training for a fight at the moment. Shadow boxing is not the same as fighting in the ring against someone. So this pugilism of competition, whether it's physical fighting or, you know, Apple versus Samsung or Facebook versus TikTok. Competition creates innovation, evolution and progress. But comparison is where it becomes a curse. So if my happiness and self-worth are contingent on comparing myself to you, I'm never going to be happy. So I shouldn't be comparing myself to anyone else other than who I was yesterday and last year and the last decade. Because 17 years ago, I was 50 grand in debt. Now I've done more than 150 million in sales. And sometimes I'm looking at the people who've done a billion in sales thinking, why didn't I do that? Well, my 17 years younger self would be pretty happy with 150 million in sales just in one of my training businesses. It's easy for me to look at someone who's got 1,000 property units. I've got 360. But people who've got 1,000 units that I know, they're in their 60s and 70s. I'm in my early 40s. Well, add a bit of VAT on top. So competition is vital, but comparison is the curse. So you're saying you don't want competition and you don't want to own 100% of your market share? No, that's the paradox, isn't it? If I could own the whole of Peterborough, like 10,000 properties, if I, could be, if I could have the cathedral and split it into multi-lets, would I turn that down? No. But would there be a sense of, I didn't really work for this, earn this, I don't really deserve this. This has come a bit easy. There would definitely be a sense of that. Like the lottery winners, they win the lottery. Two years later, nearly all of them have gone bust. Often they're even in a worse financial position because you can have all the money, but it's a curse unless you've learned how to make, manage and multiply that money. So I'd probably say yes, if I could own and dominate my, my market, but it wouldn't come without downsides. Mm, mm, interesting, all right. Let's move on to the next video. This generation is fucked up. If you do drugs or smoke, you're an addict. And if you don't do or try drugs or smoke, you're in pussy. When you have a kiss count of zero, you're scared. And if you have a kiss count higher than one, you're a whore. If you wear oversized clothes, you're fat. And if you wear tight clothes, you're a show-off. When you have a snap score higher than 150K, you're a snap slut. And if you have below 90K, you're a red flag for being unsocial. If you sit alone, you're emo. If you sit with a lot of people, you're an attention seeker. If you don't have a lot of money, you'll get called out for being poor and broke. And if you do have money, it's daddy's money, even if you worked for it yourself. Do you agree with that? I think the internet via social media has pushed us to the polls. It has created divisiveness and inequality and inequity and comparing ourselves to others and the extreme far left versus the extreme far right. I think the algorithms encourage, I know the algorithms encourage those far left, far right extremities. But that doesn't mean that we have to subscribe to it. Everyone's got an opinion. 
But you know, opinions are the lowest form of information. Like, think about it. Of all the information you could source in the world, someone's opinion is like pond life. You know, in the evolution of all species, it's amoeba. It's tadpoles. It's nothing. Opinions mean nothing. Wisdom, experience, mentorship, this kind of information. This is top of the food chain. Ironically, that piece of content will do well because it talked about the extremes. Like, think about it. How many people have no followers or a million followers? Probably 1%. Everyone else is somewhere in the middle, in the vanilla category, in the average category. That video is driven by what people think about us. And most people's social media is driven by, their posts are driven by what people think about us. But like I said, opinions are the lowest form of information. It's none of my business what you think about me. Like, that's your business. It's not mine. Also, your version of me in your head, that's not me. That's just your version of me. You don't know me. I mean, you know me better than most people, but you still don't really know me. So your version of me is based on your life and your experiences and how you feel. But it's not me. So what I say to anyone trying to be far left or far right to fit in, fuck far left, fuck far right, be yourself, be an individual, be quirky, be a mover, a shaker, a change maker, be different, be bold, because if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Well said, right, next one. I was like 19 years old, this guy calls me at 9 p.m. on a Friday and says, hey, I want to see this place. I know it's late, but like I'm just finishing up dinner. Can you show it to me at like 9.40 p.m. on a Friday night? I'm talking about a house here. I show up at 9.40. The dude does not show up. And I call. He keeps saying, oh, I'm 10 minutes away, 10 minutes away, 10 minutes away. He shows up at like 10.30. And I'm pissed, but I hide it. It turned out we became really good friends. Still to this day, he ended up leasing another place, referring me really good business, and then buying a spot. And like, had I let that cloud my judgment of like, no, you'd better, you know, be on time. What would that have served me, you know? I'm torn on this one. Someone could be late for a meeting with you because their child just got rushed to hospital or because they had some really bad news. We had someone who pulled out of a podcast because his friend passed away. Minutes before. Yeah. yeah. And we could have slid into, here we go again, another guest letting us down, not respecting our time. We're really busy. We've set up the studio. It wastes hours of our time. The amount of times we've driven down to London and hired a venue and then the guest has pulled out and not even let us know. And that's annoying. But that person could have a legitimate reason. Now, on the other side of it, how you do anything is how you do everything. And if you show up late, then maybe that's how you treat your business. And some people, many people deem showing up late as disrespect. And I would argue that five minutes early is on time and on time is late. But all you can do is conduct your own affairs and treat people how you'd like to be treated. So in this instance, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, do your absolute best to show up not on time, but before time. When you're late, don't make excuses 
Just ask for forgiveness. Don't apologize. Ask for forgiveness. Um, and show up like you mean business. And if you are on time, 90% of the time, you're probably more committed than 90% of the population. However, and I remember this with my guests, because when a guest doesn't show up, it's easy to take it personally. They don't respect me. They don't respect my time. Well, no, they don't. They don't give a fuck about me and my time. If they did, they'd have turned up. I'm clearly not important enough to them. So the way I see a guest if they cancel our show is, I need to make it more important to them. Because if it was their son's wedding, they'd turn up. Or if I had a briefcase full of cash sat there, Harry, waiting for them, they'd be flying in from America to sit on that stool and be interviewed by me. So I think it's our ego that gets pissed off with us. Uh, so I think it's that. So I think it's our ego that gets pissed off with us. Nah. So I think it's our ego that gets pissed off with others when they are late. So here's what I do. I find out if the reason is legitimate. And if the reason is legitimate, they get another shot. Because I've been late. Who am I to look down and judge morally one's personality? Who am I to look down and judge one's... Who am I to look down on someone and judge their entire morality based on being late once? But if you're late twice, because once is an accident, twice is a habit. I've got stories of people who were really late, who... I waited for, like Chris Eubank, was five hours late. He was, yeah. But it was worth waiting for, wasn't it? Every second. Every <laughs> second. We'd have waited 15 hours for that, wouldn't we? Yeah. But then there are other guests that have cancelled five times. Mm. They don't, well, I said twice. You're a, bit, you're a bit softer, aren't you? You'll give them a third or a fourth go, especially if you want them. Yeah. But after they cancel twice, that's a habit. So have you ever had a situation where emotionally you were pissed off and you either cancelled on something or you bailed out of a business deal to your detriment and on the flip side of that again have you been something is emotional but you've continued with that business deal and, it, and you know you saw the many rewards of it later on emotions are quite unreliable because what they tend to do is exaggerate reality i.e Elation and depression are polarised versions of logic. Generally in life, things are often not as good as we imagine, but often not as bad as we imagine. 99% of the things that we worry about never actually happen. So I try and bring myself into logical state, a neutral state, before I make any judgments or decisions. Now that's not always easy because of how triggering and emotional certain events can be. But you know I always say to you, Harry, that was meant to be. If a guest cancels or something falls out of bed or something that we were really hoping would happen doesn't happen, I always say that was meant to be. Things are perfect as they are. And I always say, in every stressing hides a blessing i.e. we perceive something to be bad when in reality it could be good. So in this instance, someone perceived emotionally that someone being late on them could be bad. 
in the end, it ended up being good. So emotions, they're like a smokescreen. They're a veil to clear logical thinking. And here's something to think about. Everything that you're getting on your high horse and judging someone for being late, bad behavior, take a look in the mirror. Have you ever done that yourself? Like you get pissed off with people being late, but have you ever been late? Yeah. Every fucking time we go to London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The way I see it is, if it's important enough to someone, they'll show up on time. If it's not, they won't. So I've got to make it more important to them if I want them to show up. Nice, right. Let's have a look at the next one. I got my first car in my name when I was 38. Now you sitting up in here 30 telling me your problems and I'm supposed to feel messed up about that, just help you. I had a young kid came up to me a, a year ago. Hey, Mr. Harvey, you got 15 minutes? 15? No. no. I don't even no. know you. No, I don't. Oh, you don't want to make $20 million? Little boy, do you have $20 million? No, sir. Then why would you show me how to get it? If I know how to make 20 million, the first person I'm gonna make it for is me. I tell my kids all the time, it take a long time to make a lot of money. Look at everybody that's really got a lot of money. Now, if you wanna use that one example of Kanye got this and Kanye got that, that's some exceptions. Chances of you being that exception is rare. Buckle up, knuckle down, get ready for the grind, and go on and make your dreams come true. Found that music? Yeah. He could definitely write some lyrics to a rap song. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about that? What, why do you find it amusing? Um, I like Steve Harvey. Mm. Yeah, I think he's got charisma and humour and that straight-talking approach. I like him. Uh, he's obviously very successful. Um, yeah, some people want it easy. Some people think that, oh, well, you're successful. You should give me your time. You should tell me how to make money. You should let me pitch you. You should respond to my messages. Yeah, some people are entitled. I get pitched all the time. I got a 38-minute voice memo yesterday, as you know. Like, someone thinks that I've got 38 minutes in my day to listen to a voice memo they've sent me. What? I wouldn't even listen to 38-minute voice memo from my wife. Not even on two times speed. What do you do in that situation when you get a 38-minute voice note? Uh, you archive it <laughs> yeah i'm not listening to that and that's nothing against them it's just they don't respect my time like have you got 30 seconds or i have something that uh, might help you or i'd like to do something for you that's a different in like, like you should not expect to get anything without giving anything first do you think steve there was just giving tough love then I think he was being honest. Steve Harvey will be a busy guy. So has he got 15 minutes to get pitched by someone? No. He might have 15 seconds, but not 15 minutes. If someone said to me when I was at some event or I'd just come off the stage speaking, hey, can I just have 15 minutes of your time right now? I haven't got 15 minutes. I definitely haven't got 38 minutes. So you've got to respect people's time. And people, and some people, ex and some people expect that successful people, 
They should just help them without giving first. Mm. Okay, interesting. All right. Last few. I had a woman come to see me here not long ago, and she'd come on a, some money, not very much, but it was a lot to her. And she said, what should I do with it? And I said, well, what do you owe on your credit card? She says, well, I own X. I said, well, what you should do, I, I, I don't know what interest rate she was paying. It was something like 18%. I said, I don't know how to make 18%. If I owed any money at 18%, the first thing I'd do with any money I had would be to pay it off. It's going to be way better than any investment idea I've got. And then later on in the conversation, she talked about her daughter, and her daughter had $1,000 or $2,000 or something. And, and she said, well, what should I do with the girl's money? And I said, have her lend it to you. I mean, if you're willing to pay 18% or whatever, she's not going to find a better deal. I'll lend you money. It doesn't make sense. You, you can't go through life borrowing money at those rates. The world is in love with credit cards. But I would suggest to anybody that the first thing they do in life is don't be paying even 12% to anybody. Pay that off if they're really a good credit Do you agree with Warren? Mostly, yes. So if you've come into some money, or you want to invest some money, you want to look at the highest realistic rate of return. So notice Warren Buffett, probably the best investor of this generation, mm. his generation, maybe two generations. Even he says he can't make 18% a year. Some people are looking for 18% a month. So the first thing you gotta work out is what is a realistic rate of return? We'll look at someone like Warren Buffett or myself and the rate of returns we get that we believe are realistic and go from there. And if your debt is more than that, it's going to net you better to pay off your debt than to invest. So some people say to me, look, Rob, I've got some savings and I've got some debt. Should I use the savings to pay off the debt or some savings to invest? Well, if you want well, if you strictly want to go by the best return on the savings, you pay off the debt. Because if the debt is more than the interest or the return, the debt's going to snowball. And if you take that money and invest it into an asset that pays less, the return on the asset is not going to pay the debt down quick enough. So Dave Ramsey has this weird thing. I don't get it. I'd love to talk to Dave about it because I don't see the logic in it at all. He keeps banging on about it. He says you should pay your smallest debt off first. I say you should pay your highest costing debt off first. If you have a small amount of debt that costs 5% a year and a large amount of debt that costs 20% a year, why would you pay off your smallest one? Oh, to feel emotionally like you're making progress. Yeah, but it's costing you way more money to pay off the more expensive debt. So you pay off the highest interest debt first because compounding doesn't just work in earning, it works even more. Compounding doesn't just work in earning, i.e. the more money you save and make, the more money you make. It works equally in reverse. The more debt you get in, the more debt you get in. It's called a debt snowball. Look at the US government. What is it, 31 billion in debt. What? Look at the US government. What is it? 31 trillion in debt. They're about to increase their debt ceiling. They're in a debt snowball. That's not getting paid off any time in our lifetimes. So pay the highest debt off first with the highest interest. Mm. 
Interesting. All right, we got a few more. What's the most reliable way to become a millionaire? Well, 3% of millionaires made their money through real estate, 3% in other ways such as technology, healthcare, law, and politics, 5% through entertainment, sports, and media, 10% via finance and investment, 14% through working executive positions like directors, board members, and CEOs, the important people, and an unsurprisingly high 24% made their millions from inheritance. What do you think? The highest percentages before I play the rest of the video? Well, it depends on the definition of millionaire because I'm guessing that they would define a millionaire as someone who has a net worth of $1 million, which, by the way, compared to some currencies, is less than, say, for example, £1 million. This really depends on how they define a millionaire. I assume they're defining a millionaire as net worth millionaire i.e. someone who has net assets after liabilities of one million. I'm assuming they're in the currency of dollars, which is obviously less than one million in pounds, for example. But right now, with inflation as high as it's been and fiat currency eroding at a rate of knots, one million dollars net worth is not a lot of money. So many of these people who've made one million net worth, they may have made it over 30 years. They could have had a 60 grand a year job to do that. So if this video here was about the world's richest people, not just net worth entry level millionaires, then real estate would be way more than 3%. That is the most ridiculously low figure. That is just nonsense. Like who has not made money? Like if you look at all the richest people who has not got real estate, that'd be none. Anyway, you wanted to ask me what the, the most common way for someone to become a millionaire. Yeah. Well, I almost get offended now if someone calls me a millionaire because it's just not a lot of money. Like I'm not a millionaire. I'm a multi, multi millionaire. Okay. And by the way, inheritance is not making. So this guy says, how do millionaires actually make their money? Well, inheritance, you didn't make it. Mm. So that's also wrong. Um, okay. So we're just over 50%. What is the final, uh, let's say 60%, how do that particular demographic, how, what do you think they are? The people That looks like about 42%. Yeah, yeah. 60% would be there. So 40 so odd percent of people, how do they, they make their money to become a millionaire? Um, accountant or some kind of professional? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. But the most surefire way to earn the big bucks is to start your own business and become an entrepreneur as 41% of millionaires are entrepreneurs. What do you think? I think that being an entrepreneur is one of the best ways to become a multi, multi, multi millionaire. I imagine if you want to become a slow millionaire over 30 years, just to hit 1 million, it's probably quicker and e it's probably easier to do it to it's probably easier to do it by being an accountant, a lawyer, or a doctor. But one million was never gonna be enough for me. For me now, 10 million is the new one million. So all these bullshit statistics, <laughs> I see them all the time, mate. Um, you know, what top percentage percentile of the population are millionaires, like a million is nothing now. Inflation's been over 10% for years, and that's what they tell you. A million is nothing. Deca millionaire, 10 million is the new million. People are still measuring millionaires based on currency valuations. People are still measuring millionaires like they were 30 years ago. I don't know, 
do a bit of research and put on this video the equivalent value of a pound or dollar now to where it was 30 years ago. I bet 10 million is the new million. You need to be a decker millionaire to be a proper bona fide millionaire nowadays. Nice. Next one. When it comes to money, what is the advice that you give that you think is the most controversial? Sometimes renting is actually a better financial decision than buying. To be successful, you've got to own a house. If you don't, you're a loser who rents. And by the way, when you rent, you are throwing money away. None of those things are true. I, who could buy a house tomorrow in cash, have rented for the last 15 years and have actually made more money renting than owning. This freaks people out. Yes, they fucking are. These people don't know shit. They do not know shit. They're all fucking broke. They don't know shit. Should I even bother to play the rest of the video? <laughs> God damn it, just cutting me the last hundred times saying this. Why is this a discussion that just does not go away? And by the way, in this video, he never- They're actually... all fucking Americans that say <laughs> yeah. it as well. Maybe, look, the property, the planning, the ownership rights, it's different in America to the UK. So, you know, we have to bear that in mind. I come from the UK where properties double every 12 to 15 years. They have since 10 fucking 88. For the last thousand fucking years, properties have doubled every 12 to 15 years in value. So rent is dead money. People say, oh no, rent isn't dead money. Rent is dead money money. Well, you've got to pay to live somewhere. Well, live with your parents and stay there until you can afford to buy a house. And by the way, if you want to start a business and you need a little loan to get some computers and some desks, you need credit. And a mortgage is a great way to build your credit score. <sighs> I'm, I'm, uh, the thing, I, a common theme that keeps recurring in this rent versus buy is that people keep saying... So let me, let, let, sorry, quickly, yeah, you can no, ask that in no. a minute. If I said to you, um, it's a thousand pounds a month for oxygen, it, would you be happy about that? No. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, all right, it might be a thousand pound a month to rent, but you'd rather not pay the rent and you'd rather that money be investing. Rent is not an investment. It's a necessity. So why don't you turn the necessity spending into an investment? Oh, a couple of things to pick up on there, right? So where I live, the house two doors down the road from me, the exact same house as mine, just got uh, put on the market for rent. It is twice as much as what I pay and I own my house on a mortgage. Yeah. Twice as much, same thing. So whoever, what motherfucker gets that house, yeah. You're losing, in my opinion. So, it depends, but usually rents are higher than mortgages. Makes sense, otherwise mm. everyone would just buy. Mm. So there's a premium on rent. Now look, if you cannot get a mortgage, what do you do? Live with your parents, or pull together with five or six of you, or get someone to buy a house, and give you a bit of a shared ownership, or buy a house and Airbnb out all the rooms. If you want to be entrepreneurial and you want to stop wasting money, rent is one of the biggest wastes of money because it's one of your biggest expenses that you don't get a return on. I mean, Robert Kiyosaki, he, he probably revolutionized this. 
Because I guess before him, everyone was saying your house is an asset. I'm not saying your house is an asset. Your house can be a liability if it costs you money every month. But renting costs you even more every month. But people don't go around going, well, renting's a liability. Renting is a bigger expense than paying off a mortgage. And when you're paying off a mortgage, you're owning an asset that's going up in value and getting income to pay off the mortgage. You can't get, when you rent, when you rent, you don't get income to pay off the rent. And then what if the landlord kicks you out? And what if you want to do the place up? What are you going to spend 15 grand doing the place up? Or what are you going to do? Spend, and what if you want to do the place up? Well, you're going to spend 15 grand doing the place up and that all go to the landlord. Because you don't get given that back when you, because you don't get given that back when you leave. And people really underestimate this. But like, what about, people really, and people really underestimate this, but what about if you want to raise a family? What about if you want somewhere where your money is safe and secure? Like, will banks lend to you to put into crypto? Fuck that. <laughs> will they lend to you to put in the stock market? Will they lend to you to buy watches? No. What's the one main piece of safe, secure collateral that every bank will lend you money for, even if your credit is fucked? Real motherfucking estate. Yes. Yeah. Real MF estate. <laughs> Real estate. I just don't get this. Now, I'm going to try and get in their head. Well, you know, what if you're young and you're not settled and you want to travel? That's different. You know, if you want to travel in a, to a new country every month and you want to go and see the world, that's different. But you should be aiming to buy a house, whether to live in or to rent out, as soon as possible. It's good for your credit. It's good for other loans you might need. How you do anything is how you do everything. So if you want to learn how to invest in assets, you need to own an asset. And what's a great asset to teach you about investment and assets? Property. And people say, oh, well, I don't want to own a property and then um, travel and be responsible for it. Well, just rent it out while you're away. Have someone else paying your mortgage down for you. Triggered. <laughs> this, this bullshit beggars belief. I, like, I don't get it. Super quick fire, three videos, go through these. I once heard uh, Andrew Tate say this really well. He says, you and I can't make money. You and I can take other people's money in exchange for value. That's mm -hmm. the piece that I added to it. And I know he meant that way, meaning you don't just go and club someone over the head and take their money. Right. The governments make money. They literally can print money. They can make money. You and I can't make it. All you and I can do with money is give value in exchange for money. I just had a guy in my workshop this morning. He's 57 years old. You know what he says? I don't have anything to say for retirement. He's 57. He's got eight years to the typical retirement age. He said, Matt, what would you say to me? I said, you, bro, you better bust your tail. You better consider entrepreneurship because here, here's the thing. The typical way to save for retirement is to save 10% of your income, 20% of your income, 30% of your income. That's called wealth accumulation, the old way. PHP agency, they've paid me $10 million over the last seven years. How have I done it? Because I said wealth acceleration. So instead of waiting for a job to pay me 65,000, 75,000, 100,000 dollars a year over 10, 20, 30 years of my life, I said, let me take ownership of myself, start a business part-time, start transitioning from part-time to full-time. And once I start making more money part-time through my business, I can leave my full-time job because now I can double my efforts into my part-time business. So that technique is called wealth acceleration. Do you know about Steve Jobs? Do you know he went to India before he started Apple? Uh, I maybe I don't okay. know. I don't, I don't think the I reason that. he went to India was to study numerology and astrology because in India, 
numerology and astrology is supreme. That's what they do over there. If you look at Apple, he's a 28 life path. He founded Apple 4-1-1976, and he incorporated 3-1-1977. He's a 28. He started the company on a 28th day, and he incorporated on a 28th day. This stuff works. Agree? No. So they're using sleight of language to create content. So they say you can't make money because the government are the only people that can make money, but you can take money. No, 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 you can't take money. If you take someone's money, what are they going to do? They're going to want it back. They're going to think it's theft. So you don't take money either. But I do agree that, but I do agree that, but I do agree that you create something valuable and you receive money in exchange for the value. So you don't make it. I agree. You don't take it. I disagree. You receive it in exchange for fair value. That's why I came up with the formula for wealth. It's in my book, Money. Do you think people pedestalise money when they should be pedestalising value? Do you want me to share my formula for wealth? <laughs> Go on. I, I better just there put it yeah, in. Yeah. So my formula for wealth is value. So my formula for wealth is wealth equals perceived value times fair exchange. So my formula for wealth is wealth equals perceived value plus fair exchange times leverage. Fair exchange is where you pay fair money, you receive fair value. I'm not taking any money off you. I'm not making any money. You are receiving fair value. And I'm creating something useful that you want for that. That's how you make money. And should you pedestalize value over money? Yeah. You should value being valuable and creating value more than money because that's how you make or receive money. You don't make or receive money in a sustainable way for years or decades because anyone can steal money in the short term or con or oversell until they get found out. But if you want to make sustainable and scalable wealth, don't think about making money initially. Think about creating something really valuable and useful and then the fair amount that you're going to charge for that, that you can make profit on and then go and build it and sell it and market it. And then as you receive more money, then you can manage your money, multiply your money. Who are Rob, really fucking enjoyed this. I think we should do it again. Let's do it every week. <laughs> if you want more of this shit, if you want more of this good money content, make sure you like. If you want more of this good money content, make sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel, turn the notification bell on. I've got a lot of shit to say about money. And there's a lot of people out there saying a lot of shit about money that, well, I don't agree with. And everyone is entitled to my opinion.